Hello there and welcome to episode seven of the Or So She Says podcast. My name is Narissa Shea and I am a personal trainer, nutritionist, sport and exercise psychology consultant, yoga instructor and a professional Irish dancer. I am so excited for today's episode. Today I am going to be chatting with Michelle Hone. She's the founder and manager of the Fit Clinic. So the Fit Clinic is an online nutrition coaching company made up of 10 qualified nutritionists and nutritional therapists who are dedicated to designing tailor-made plans for the needs and goals of all their clients. They specialize predominantly in female health and they empower women to be the best versions of themselves using evidence-based practice and simple changes. They specialize in a vast array of areas such as body composition, performance nutrition, female hormone related issues, fertility and pregnancy. I've been following Michelle for years and her ebook, Your Bible for Hacking Your Hormones, honestly changed my life. And it actually started me on my own personal journey of working with my body and not against it. I can't quite put into words how grateful I am to have someone like this come on to the show. So I really, really, really hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. And I really hope you get a lot from this episode. And remember, if you like this episode and found it helpful, please, please, please feel free to share it with your friends, with your family, share it on social media, maybe give it a like, subscribe and a rating. It goes a really long way in helping small content creators like myself spread a very, very important message. So without further ado, here we go. Episode seven of the Or So She Says podcast with the incredible Michelle Hone. So Michelle, hello. Thank you so, so much for coming on to the podcast today. I am absolutely buzzing to have you on. I have been following you for years and literally you were the reason why I embarked on this journey of like working with my body and not against it. And like, I remember downloading your ebook, your Bible to hacking your hormones and it changed my life. I literally, like my eyes were opened. I was like, oh my God, I'm not a little man and I don't have to go around like a little man. So literally, I can't thank you enough for that. So that's amazing. Thank you so much. (laughs) So do you want to, for anyone who doesn't know you, give yourself a little bit of an introduction and maybe what you do and who you work with? Yeah, so my name is Dr. Michelle Hone. I am a female health nutritionist. I'm the founder of a company called The Fit Clinic. I set it up God, I think is it coming on eight years now in July and the Fit Clinic is basically an online nutrition consultancy. We have a team of nutritionists and nutritional therapists who specialize in female health. So anything from PCOS, hypothalamic amenorrhea, preconception, fertility, pregnancy, basically if you have a vagina, we're happy to work. <laughs> like even right through to perimenopause and menopause. So that's the work that we do and just really passionate about breaking down taboos and stigmas around menstrual health and menopause and fertility and pregnancy loss so yeah I absolutely love the work that I do I actually like I send all my clients immediately to go and follow you on Instagram because I I kind of work with like women between the ages of about 25 to 40 so I mean some of them it's like actually making them realize about contraception that they, it's not a period with others it's they're trying to conceive and with others it's maybe perimenopause things like that and I'm always like just please 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 follow this girl's page like you have no idea how much you're going to learn by just following her so I, I suppose I, I actually don't even know where to start but I suppose we'll start with periods like you always say that you view it as like your fifth vital sign and I absolutely adore how you describe this so do you want to talk a little bit about periods different yeah so when we talk about it as our fifth vital sign for so many years or up until now we've kind of seen our period as something that's a hindrance and a nuisance and something that gets in the way and a lot of people when they have an irregular cycle or they skip a period or they don't have a period at all they're like oh great this is grand I'm my this hindrance is is gone when really it's so so important it's our fifth vital sign so what I mean by that is we have our other four vital signs so our temperature, our breathing rate, our um, blood pressure and other ones. So 
they're like the analogy that I always use is if you woke with them up in the morning and your blood pressure was through the roof or it was really low and you felt quite weak or you fainted or your temperature was through the roof, you would be like, okay, there's something wrong. I'm not well. Let me go to the emergency room or go to the doctor. Whereas when we have a, a regular period or a missed period, we're like, oh yeah, it's just, I skipped a period this month or my period's really heavy this month or it was way lighter than it usually is. And the way I always describe it is like your menstrual cycle or your period and the health of your period, how regular it is, is like your body's way of communicating with you. And it's 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 basically if your period is off or if it's really heavy, like heavier than usual, if it doesn't arrive at all that month, it's your body's way of like being like, hey, like red flag over here, like something is up. And there is always a reason as to why you haven't, you've skipped a period or it's much longer. And normally if you look back over the month or the previous months that you've had, you'll no- usually be able to join the dots. It's something usually like 95% of the time it's nutrition related it's something to do with your stress levels it's something to do with exercise it's to do with rapid weight loss Um, and then we start to look at things like hypothalamic amenorrhea and PCOS so there's always an underlying reason it is never ever normal to just not get a period or to consistently get a period every 28 days and then out of nowhere it's 40 or 50 days like that's not normal and it's not the worst thing in the world like not to scare people but it's it's literally a little alarm bell from your body to say that something is up and that you need to further investigate. So what would be like a regular, like within what time frame would you say would be regular? So the textbook period is every 28 days, but the research yeah. actually shows that it's closer to 29 days. So, but everyone's going to vary and people always freak out. They're like, I got my period on 28 days this month and then 26 the last and now it's 30. Is that an irregular cycle? No, it's not. So my kind of ballpark that the, especially when it comes to fertility clients, I like to see them anywhere from 26 to 35 days. So if your period is like at one stage, it's 26 and then the next month it's 30, that's fine. I would still class that as a regular cycle. But when it starts to drop below, like kind of 24, 23 days, that's an issue. And when it starts to push above 35 days, that's an issue as well. Okay. So it's kind of within them time frames if it varies a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's really important because something my clients would say to me is they're like, oh, well, last month it was this. And when they start tracking their cycle and they get really into it, they start worrying. Then they're like, is that a regular? And I was like, well, I was like, I'm not an expert in it, but I was like, usually I have that flow app and I love it because it just tells you all the little things and it gives you like the little time frame that they're like, oh, this is regular or not. But I think one of the biggest game changers for me and I tried to get my clients to do it as soon as they sign up I'm like do you track your period mm-hmm. and I know and people will be like I know but I know rough and I was like no no but not just your period like the symptoms that go along with it when I, I like when I first started tracking I was actually using natural cycles I was doing my basal temperature and everything and it was it was the most amazing thing it was the most eye-opening thing I've ever done but like to actually look into the different phases of the menstrual cycle and become more in tune with what's happening at different times in the month it's it, so interesting yeah. isn't it it's something like so empowering and just amazing about understanding okay this is my change in cervical mucus I must be ovulating around now okay I'm really I'm literally stripping off in the bed I must have just ovulated my sense of smell is through the roof I'm attracted to people that I would normally be attracted to be ovulating it's so interesting when you actually I'm starving why am I so hungry it's because my metabolism is after increasing towards the end of my cycle and when you start to become more in tune with it it's actually you just kind of feel more at one with yourself you kind of feel like your mind and your body is just communicating with with each other and you just feel so much more at peace in a way I don't know I can't really describe it but there's something really special about it I totally agree because I think like I always say to my clients as well like I I've been working with some clients for like two years like they're, they're just part of the crew now we it, like it's just genuinely like a little family but we nearly know at certain times of the month they were like just warning you know I said it's day 23 of my cycle and we always know I'm a bit wobbly around this time yeah. and I'm always like but I'm like it's not that the knowledge of this is going to completely alleviate it but you can approach yourself in a much more self-compassionate way if you understand why this is happening and I think that was a big thing for me was I always like to know why things are happening and as soon as I was like oh that makes sense it doesn't get rid of it but I'm a lot more compassionate to myself when I know why it's happening which kind of segues on kind of perfectly I know this is a whole topic in itself and I actually heard you talking about this at Festival Manon I know to summarize it it's it's a lot but 
just briefly, if you want to talk about like the luteal phase, the follicular phase, like the main kind of things that are happening at those points of the cycle. Yeah. So if we take like the textbook 28 day cycle, I know that most people won't have that 28 day cycle, but just for the purpose of this vaccination. So in an ideal world, you'll generally ovulate halfway through your cycle. So in and around day 14, but again, research shows that most people ovulate on day 15. So day 14, we'll say is when we ovulate. So anything before day day 14 so day one to day day 14 is classed as your follicular phase and anything from day 15 to when you get your next period which is day um 28 or 29 would be your luteal phase so there's two main hormones that are dominant in each of these phases so we'll start with the follicular phase so our follicular phase is it within that phase you're going to be it's it's estrogen that's going to be the dominant hormone so estrogen, the way I always describe this is like, estrogen is like, like your phone best friend who wants to like take you on a night out and like get the ride with you. So it's basically, we feel really energized. We feel creative. We're really good in social settings. We're able to articulate what we want to say. Like I remember like there's been times where I've done podcasts and <laughs> a podcast and presentations where I've been like day 27 and I actually just can't. I'm like, the words aren't coming to me here. Like, whereas when you're ovulating like yeah I'll definitely do that huge podcast 100% but it never feels like that so you're more creative you're better at public speaking you're just able to communicate better and you feel better and basically your your body is trying to put you out into society to have sex to get pregnant basically and obviously the most important part is your sex drive is is higher in your follicular phase especially as you start to approach ovulation so that's your follicular phase, like in terms of training as well, obviously this would be important for, for people who are listening and your followers is that follicular phase is a time where we generally feel really, really good. Um, and it's a good time to like push. It's a good time to place a heavy emphasis on more heavy resistance training, more strength-based resistance training. Um, we metabolize carbohydrates better. Our recovery is better. Our insulin sensitivity is higher. So it's a really good time to push on with training and make sure you're kind of, you're, you're getting insufficient carbohydrates for your post-workout recovery. And again, like, as I say this, like, this is, this is the kind of rule of thumb, like, this doesn't mean that you're going to feel unbelievable from day day five to day 14. Like, and it doesn't mean that you're not going to hit a PB on day 26, but this yeah. is kind of the general rule. So then if you compare that to the follicular phase, so in our follicular phase, our hormone progesterone is predominant. So progesterone is like, it's like a natural Xanax. It's a real kind of chill day hormone. Like if you think about it, it's the predominant hormone during pregnancy and anyone who's gone through pregnancy, you'll know that for the most part, you kind of just feel quite zen. You feel quite chilled out apart from like, obviously the mild mood swings. Um, so during your luteal phase, it's kind of a time when you go inwards a little bit. You maybe don't want to socialize. Like I always describe it as like, progesterone or, or your luteal phase is like or progesterone is like your friend who wants like netflix and chill and just chill out and not really do much so this is just kind of like a really important time to understand this and to know that maybe you're not going to feel like pushing it in the gym maybe you're not going to feel like you're on top of your recovery and um, your appetite is going to be increasing your insulin sensitivity is actually down which means that your blood sugars end up a bit more dysregulated than they would be in your follicular phase and when our blood sugars are dysregulated, that means that we get cravings. So if you add in an increase in our metabolism, therefore an increase in hunger on top of an increase in cravings, then of course, if you're trying to stick to a calorie deficit, it's going to be quite difficult in that luteal phase. So it's really important to understand this so that you can be compassionate with yourself. Because if you didn't know this, you'd be like, okay, I'm day 26. I feel like shit. I don't want to get out of bed. I'm really lethargic. I don't want to talk to anybody. Everyone's annoying me. I really don't want to train. I'm starving. I just want sugar. I just want caffeine. And I feel bloated. Like if you didn't know that you're supposed to kind of feel a little bit like this to yeah. a certain extent on day 26, then it's really difficult to be compassionate with yourself because you're like, why am I so demotivated? Why do I just want to eat everything around me when I'm trying to be really um I suppose really improve on my behaviors and and improve my nutrition lifestyle and it's the last thing I want to do so I suppose honoring those cravings honoring that hunger honoring that you don't want to maybe go and do your hit session today and just going for a walk throwing in a podcast um going for a swim do you know what I mean just being a bit more gentle with yourself and being compassionate with understanding why you're feeling like that in that phase 
Yeah. And I think that like it has literally, and I think I'm so passionate about it because it changed my life so much that I'm like trying to instill all this to my clients. So like I literally was talking to a client earlier and I have a call with her later and she outright said to me, I'm just warning you around that 23 day mark. I just need to be talked a little bit off the rails today. She's 100%. like, I know I'm going to be fine next week. She's like, I yeah. know I am. But I, but she didn't know that once ago. And I was like, you know, the awareness that you have that now is incredible. Like, it's incredible. As I said, it doesn't get rid of it, but it allows you to be a bit more compassionate. But that actually kind of brings me on to like a good conversation here is um, like with PMS and PMDD. Now I know the two are different and I know kind of dealing with PMS is one thing and we can all have maybe some symptoms, but where does it become PMDD territory? Like, and what's kind of the difference? Because I do have a couple of clients that really, really suffer around this time of month and they are like nearly debilitated with it. And we have discussed it before and they're gonna go and get their bloods done and stuff, but they wanted me to ask you anyway. So I was like, yeah. So it's really, really tough PMDD. So basically what it is, it's like a really severe version of PMS. So normal PMS, I think we kind of, we shun away PMS and we're like, oh, it's not normal. You're you're supposed to feel great 28 days of the month, but that's not true. You're always going to have, because you're getting like fluctuations and dips in hormones, you're going to feel worse at certain times of the month and that's fine. So of course you're going to have like, or a lot of people anyway would have a little bit of cramping um, a little bit of like low mood. Some people suffer with anxiety as that progesterone and that Eastern really drops towards the end of your cycle where like, that's fine. Um, the issue is when it becomes really debilitating, when you feel literally depressed for several days of the month where you feel like I have, I've had clients before where they're having panic attacks um, where they're just so anxious that they can't even function throughout the day. And this is where it starts to become what we call PMDD. And that's the difference between PMS and PMDD, where it becomes a case where you can't function with these feelings of anxiety and depression and low mood. Like it's not just low mood. It's it's like there's there's people who would have PMDD who would also have suicidal intentions. So it's really, really important if you know that you have that to seek help. Yeah. And what would you recommend? They go and get a blood test or they need to is there a particular blood test you'd go for or so with, with PMS and with PMD in PMDD in general, nothing's really going to show up in a blood test. Like it might okay. be a case, um, a hundred percent of recommend getting your vitamin D tested and your other nutrient status, like your iron and your B12 and your folate. But for the most part, like it could be a case that they're low in progesterone, but will that be picked up by a blood test? Probably not necessarily because our progesterone is all relative to each other. So for me, yeah when I'm at peak, for example, peak progesterone, which is around day 21, my PMS or my progesterone will only ever reach about 30. That's just the norm for me. Whereas 30 to somebody else might be really, really low and they might feel awful. Whereas I feel okay at 30. And um, someone who's normally like their range is supposed to be kind of 40 to 45. If they drop to a 30, then they're going to feel really, really crap. So there's no way unless you're comparing it to something like prior to when you had PMDD, you're not going to get like a true reading of that makes sense. You're just going to get a number it like, yes, if it's below 30, you definitely have low progesterone, but it, there's no real one blood test for PMDD. And it's really just like, again, like I kind of hate using the term holistic, but it's really just like a, a 360 approach. It's nutrition, it's supplementation, it's exercise it's managing your mental health, it's sleep, it's stressors, it's your relationship, it's where you're spending your energy, who you're surrounding yourself with. Um, daylight exposure is going to be a huge one. So there's no real one silver bullet when it comes to PMDD. It kind of needs to be treated on a case-per-case basis and needs a really all-around approach. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I'm really aware of as well is obviously like a lot of my clients would be fat loss clients. Like, so, you know, I remember listening to your podcast and talking about, you know, calorie deficits. And obviously the main thing that people tend to drop out. And I always try to tell my clients, I'm like, just because we're going for a slight calorie deficit, like don't slash all the fats. I was like, like fat is really important for hormone regulation. And I think a lot of the time, like you were saying, the 360 view, I know myself from when I put myself in a calorie deficit before. And I noticed my PMS got worse and it was it was a lot worse. And I took a look at it and, you know, I took the step back and coached myself and was like, what was the first thing you put out there? 
you were cutting out the fats. And I noticed a huge difference then when I went back up to maintenance, increased like the monopolyunsaturated fats. All of a sudden the next month, my PMS wasn't as bad. So I was like, but but like only I like was following you, went to do my nutrition, like I wouldn't have never known this. No. I would have just been completely like, why do I feel awful this month? Like, And this is the thing where people are just like, oh, it's just a calorie deficit, it's just a calorie deficit. And I was like, it's absolutely not like, especially, and I I don't like to compare, like I, I do coach men, but I mainly very, very little, like my, I predominantly work with women. And I'm just like, there is just so many factors we need to consider here. I was like, and you can't just do, it's a calorie deficit, stick to it 30 days of the month, train consistent. I'm like, I kind of ease them into it in their first few weeks of working and I drip feed them this stuff. And then after a few weeks, I'm like, okay, now I'm gonna just give you all of this information. Yeah. And they're like, whoa, like this is amazing. I never knew any of this. And yeah. it, it's crazy. Like it's 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 amazing to see so many people get really, really interested in like working with their bodies then. So it's, it's good. But what um, I was gonna say was like, and you just touched on it there, the reason we're like, oh, it's just a calorie deficit is because all of the research that we have around calorie deficits is undone on men. And we're not like just kind of shrunk down versions of men. We're so much more complex. And it's really important that we understand that our physiology is completely, we're nearly like separate species. Yeah. <laughs> In terms of our physiology, especially when it comes to how we respond to nutrition and exercise and stress. So it's so important that we kind of get rid of this mentality of like, oh yeah, just slash your calories and do hit training like five times a week. And like, yeah, you might lose weight, but your health is going to be completely off. And it's, I think we're kind of changing the narrative around health being synonymous with being um, just slim and, and being lighter. Like some of the most unhealthy people that I've ever worked with have been the leanest. And it's really important to, to understand that. So just because you're lean, by no means does it mean that you're healthy and that your your hormones are optimized and that your fertility like you're in in an optimal place for for fertility as well so that's just important to to bear in mind as well absolutely and I think like well I think I always say to my clients when they start working with me they obviously we've all been bombarded with diet culture they come and they say I want to lose weight and I'm like but why but why but why but why but why like five times until we get to it and then we we like at the forefront of all my coaching i'm like it's health and he can we focus on intrinsic motivators like and they start saying i'm feeling great i'm more confident you know like i i slept with my partner with the lights on and stuff like this and it's just it's amazing things like that and i'm like if we can focus on all the feel-good factors i'm like look if weight loss is the goal which it completely can be uh, i was like but not having that at the forefront of it is so, so important. And I think that narrative is changing a bit now, which is amazing. And I think like health has to be at the forefront, even if yeah. people's, like, as you said, like I know people who are extremely lean and by no means would I say they are healthy at all. Like, and they definitely don't have a period. And then like you start seeing like binge eating and things like that coming in and I, I just think more people are talking about it now which is great and people are talking about their own experiences with it and stuff like that but I think looking at someone and looking at them and thinking they're lean and thinking that they're in great shape and they're really really healthy that we do need to step away from that like the issue arises when someone wants to lose weight because they're trying to fill a void in their life it's like well why do you actually want to lose weight is it that you just, yeah, I just want to, and I'm guilty of, not that I'm guilty of, it's not to be guilty about it. I'm like, sometimes I feel a little bit fluffy and I want to feel a little bit better in my shorts during the summer and that's fine. But I already have a sense of worthiness, like because I've worked on this. Whereas years ago, I was slashing my calories to get skinny because I was trying to fill a void of like unworthiness. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So you know this from working with clients that their goal is weight loss. So there's nothing wrong with wanting to lose weight if your reason for it isn't I will be happy and feel worthy when I'm this much lighter. And that's where because ultimately when you do when you are that much lighter, I know myself because I've been there, you don't feel any more worthy. So it's really important to understand that weight loss goal isn't always as simple as a weight loss goal. It isn't always a surface level. Sometimes it goes a little bit deeper than that. Yeah, it's the I'll be happy when trap. I'm like, there, no, but anything you have to ask, why do you think you will? Now, like, 
I think when clients work with me for a while, like in their check-ins and stuff, I ask them their values, we go through their values, we keep going through this. And a lot of the time when they dig deep, it comes back down to they're like, Do you know, I actually just want to have more energy to play with my kids. And I actually just want to be a good role model for my kids and eat a bit better. And, so, and there I'm like, there, that's a why. That's a really good why. Let's stick with this why. And I think the more, like I've been the same, I worked as a professional dancer for 10 years. So when I tell you before I got into personal training and nutrition and everything, like awful, awful, like terrible diet, like just starving ourselves coming up to rehearsals. You're doing cardio for like eight hours a day at rehearsals, like you'd be injured. And I actually work with a lot of dancers now. And it's crazy to think like the, the, the amount that they could we could have all done with years ago to just have someone come into us and talk about nutrition and it's why I'm so passionate about talking about it now because I was like I could have saved myself so much heartbreak over them years and like been a lot stronger and in a lot better position to actually be able to do tours instead of just starving yourself coming up to tours thinking you have to be like and miserable and actually having such a distorted body image because I look back at photos now and I, I looked like stick thin, but I was like, I could not see that at all. I was just comparing myself to this, this and this. And now I'm like, I just like feeling strong and love yeah. food. <laughs> it's like... And like very often, if you look back on like, if you were to choose the photos where you're the happiest, you're probably at like your kind of comfortable set point. It's rarely when you're, when you look really, really slim or yeah. like really lean. I think the leanest I ever was, was like the most unhappy I ever was. So yeah. And I actually, I had, um, last year had like a very, very stressful year. Like my dad passed away and stuff last year. So it was just, it was a lot, it was a lot last year. And I think like what happened was like, without even realizing it, things just kind of spiraled and hit me around Christmas time, like a ton of bricks. And I dropped down to like under 50 kilos. And I just, I actually just couldn't, and I love food, love training and everything. And I wasn't even training that much. It was just stress. Like, and I remember someone commenting on a photo I had up. And if it was me years ago, I would have got such a buzz out of them thinking, God, you look great. And I actually looked at the photo and I was like, this is when I kind of came out the other side of it and realized and started getting back to feeling myself and eating properly. I looked at the photo and I was like, I don't look good there. But that narrative is still playing in people's heads. They saw me looking the leanest I've been. I was like, do you want, and I put up a post about it because I actually was just like, I actually want to talk about this. Someone commented saying that I looked really, really well at this point. Do you know why I dropped down to that way? Listed out all the things that happened and people were like, thank you for opening up about that and realizing to stop glorifying weight loss at any cost like I was like because yeah, that was do that yeah absolutely but it's the vulnerability as well and I think like the more we can just put ourselves out there and talk about these things I was like it, it just normalizes being able to talk about it and not having that narrative that oh thinner is better so compliment anyone if they lose a little bit of weight like you don't know what they're going through behind the scenes yeah that's so true so right <laughs> I'm going to completely segue and come back to something which we're back kind of talking about periods is um, two things I'd love to talk about because I have a couple of clients that actually have been diagnosed with endometriosis, PCOS, and I have a couple of clients who, well, they want to go and get tested, they're not entirely sure, but like they've been kind of researching it a little bit. And could you talk a little bit about like the main symptoms of mm -hmm. endometriosis and PCOS? So I'll start with PCOS. So PCOS, the main symptoms would be excess facial hair, um, cystic acne, especially around your jawline, really poor energy levels, um, a difficulty losing weight. And then in terms of diagnosing it, it's important that you detect that there are excess androgens in your blood test. Um, there may be cysts on your ovaries. They may not be. It doesn't mean like, so it's kind of confusing just because you have cysts on your ovaries on an ultrasound doesn't definitively mean that you have PCOS. And then on the flip side, you don't need to have cysts on your ovaries in order to be diagnosed with PCOS. So it's important, even though the name is polycystic ovarian syndrome, doesn't mean that if you have cysts in your ovaries, you definitively have PCOS. So, um, and the other main one would be um, what can happen is, is menstrual dysregularity. So an absent menstrual cycle or a menstrual cycle that tends to be longer than 35 days. So they would kind of be some of the hallmark symptoms. Um, the issue with PCOS is really... 80% of people anyway, when it comes to PCOS, they have what's called like poor insulin sensitivity. So like a version of insulin resistance. So basically the easiest way to describe this is like insulin is a hormone that takes blood, sorry, takes 
glucose takes sugar from your blood and transports it into your muscle cells so it's like it's like a key that comes along and opens up the muscle or opens up the tissue and allows that glucose to flow in the issue arises with pcos is when when you have um high insulin resistance that means that your body kind of becomes less receptive to the effect of that key trying to get into that door so basically what happens is you get this big buildup in blood sugars and then you also get um your pancreas pushing out more insulin so you have high um, blood sugars and you also have high insulin and PCOS for the most part anyway as I said 80% and what can happen when you have elevated insulin is you get an elevation in our um, male hormones also known as our androgens and our our androgens are going to basically interfere with our the workings of a reproductive system we're supposed to have androgens that's fine but we're not supposed to have elevated androgens so they can disturb ovulation they can have an interaction with their ovaries and stop or delay ovulation and that's why one of the hallmark symptoms would be would be your um your menstrual dysregularities so one of I suppose yeah and as well sorry when you have blood sugar dysregulation that's when you have really poor energy levels you have really bad mood swings you're hungry all of the time you're finding it difficult to lose weight because you're exhausted you don't want to go to the gym you definitely don't want to train you don't want to go for a walk and all you want to do is eat because you're you know yourself when you're really really tired you just want to reach for something sugary so it makes it really difficult to lose weight and so one of the 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 really kind of um core treatment plans that we use or I wouldn't even call them treatment plans but kind of methods of managing when it comes to PCOS is starting with nutrition and starting to really try and optimize our insulin sensitivity um, and balance out our blood sugar. So making sure you're looking at your meals and thinking, okay, are they balanced? Is it just carbohydrates or am I adding in fats and protein? So like a balanced meal should include it, definitely your protein, your fats and, and some carbohydrates. So it's important that if you think about it, the easiest way, there's two ways of managing your blood sugar. So the first one is by looking at the carbohydrate sources that we choose. So going for and choosing those slow releasing, more complex carbohydrates like our oats, our rice, our um, whole grain bread, our um, veg, our fruit, things like that versus our more, our more kind of um, processed carbohydrates. That's the first way of managing our blood sugars. And the second way of managing your blood sugars is, okay, how are we building our meals? So when you pair a protein or a fat with a carbohydrate food, all of a sudden you kind of blunt the, the blood sugar response that you get from that meal. So there are two really important kind of hacks for PCOS is trying to balance your blood sugars. And then like in terms of supplementation, there's some really, really effective supplements that can help improve our insulin sensitivity. It's a really good supplement called myoinositol. Um, the other one is magnesium zinc can also bring down our androgen so they would kind of be the, the the core ones that we would look at again it obviously depends on the person but they would be the ones that tend to most people tend to do really well on and then in terms of again treating their insulin resistance and it's important that we're like if you think about it we're getting to the root of the problem if we treat our insulin resistance sometimes people think like oh well if I just take this supplement or if I eat loads of broccoli to decrease my androgens then my PCOS will go away but my argument is like but you're not actually getting to the root of the problem the root of the problem is the insulin resistance it's not actually the elevated androgens so the other thing that's obviously so so important is exercise so the way I always describe it is when it comes to exercise, basically, especially resistance training, it's like making your muscle like a sponge to glucose. So if you're you're increasing your muscle, you're essentially increasing your um, muscle tissue when you do resistance training repetitively and like in terms of when you use like a program that has progressive overload. And also when you do resistance training, your, your muscles become like hungry for sugar. So it really like increases that insulin sensitivity for up to 48 hours after that training session. So I would nearly go as far as saying that exercise is more important than um, nutrition, which is a crazy thing for a nutritionist to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> when it comes to PCOS, because you can, yeah, the most effective changes that I've gotten with PCOS with clients is the ones that do like proper resistance training and are really really consistent with this that's really really important yeah and I know and I understand that it can be really hard because my clients who do have PCOS like you're coming from a place of like lower energy levels so actually getting the ball rolling it's like where do I start do I start with the nutrition do I start with this and knowing that everything is ultimately going to help it but it's just it can be a very very tough place but like I always say to them like 
okay, well, let's break this down. I was like, okay, like, can we go from doing no training sessions to one training sessions and then just build it from there? And then when they start seeing the benefits of what they're doing, then they understand that it is working. But even them, just like, as soon as they find out, I had a client with PCOS and she, as soon as she found out, it's not that she, she wanted to know she had it, but it's nearly like she knew she had it. And she was like, as soon as I got diagnosed with that, I actually was able to be like, okay, well now at least I can take some action on it. What can I do here? Like nutrition wise, things like that. So I think that's really empowering as well is for people to know how common it is as well. Yeah. Like the, the stats are about one in 10 for PCOS. So it's important to 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 know the stats and to like know if you're feeling off if your menstrual cycle is dysregular especially if it's longer than 35 days if you're getting that um and it's not just when I talk about facial hair everyone's like oh my god I have facial hair I'm like everyone has facial hair like you everyone has that fluff but this is quite different like it's dark it's really like it's really unwanted hair um and also your cystic acne around your jawline tends to be the hallmark symptoms of excess androgens but I would always try and look for um I would always try and look for a androgen test like to pop into your GP get your bloods done get your testosterone done get your DHEAS tested and also another um one is your sex hormone binding globulin as well to have that tested to make sure that's in range and if it's not that would be suggestive of PCOS okay I actually I got your new book about the blood tests and it's amazing oh yeah oh that's good oh, that's <laughs> so this, this is a plug right here that if anyone wants to get these blood tests like you, you you have a new book out that goes through everything and a lot of it is to do with actually like fertility tests and stuff as well isn't it yeah so like the reason I it took me ages to write that book but I just felt like I was getting so many messages being like what do I do like where like what blood tests do I get done what are the ranges that I'm looking for because a lot of the time, like I've had so many clients who have come to me and they might not be getting pregnant or maybe they've suffered a pregnancy loss or they might not have a period. And they're normally told like one of two things. Oh, you're only 30. Like you've loads of time to have a baby. I'm like, but I, I have, I've been trying for a year. Like there's clearly something amiss here, but it's like, oh, fine. You've loads of time. And actually when you think about it, it's mad. So when you're 30, like not to scare people, but like you're coming towards the end of your fertility. Like obviously yeah. fine. Like most of us, like I think as far as I know, the stats in Ireland is most of us are having our first baby at 33, which is absolutely fine. But if you think about it, if you're getting your period at like 14 or 15, when you're 30, 31, 32, you are approaching the end of it. And like, by all means, I've had clients who've had, who've, who's, I've had a few clients who've actually had a baby at 43. Three. Um, so like obviously it's not the panic people, but for a GP to turn around and say, Oh, it's fine, like you're only 30, like just keep trying. It's like, well, I need further investigation here. And like I want to be pregnant yesterday, not in X amount of months' time when you're just kind of kicking the can down the road. Like they're they're normally when when someone has been trying to conceive for 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 a year, there is something amiss there. Um so yeah, that was that was one of the the kind of one of the things that a GP would come back with and the other would be if someone went to them with hypothalamic amenorrhea so that's the loss of your period for more than three months or and um, if they went went with kind of just menstrual disturbances so their period is really irregular or they're bleeding between cycles or anything like that they were just recommended being put on the pill it's like well but what's the issue well, what's the actual underlying issue like if you put someone on the pill you're literally just putting a plaster over what the what the actual root issue is and I think the reason I'm really passionate about that is because most of the clients coming to us are trying to get pregnant a lot of them are trying to get pregnant and they were just put on the pill x amount of years ago and they were told like oh just go on the pill and when they come off the pill they've got all of this unraveling to do because they've just kicked the can down the road to deal with this underlying issue at a later date and that later date is when they wanted to be pregnant yesterday and I have to tell them okay well you actually haven't had your own period in 15 years. So we have to figure out one, like, first of all, where it is, why, like why it's not here and what is the underlying reason as to why it's, it, it hasn't come back. So trying to kind of tell that to someone who is already stressed that they're not getting pregnant is really, really difficult. So I just think a lot of things could have been avoided if a GP did the correct blood tests, figured out, okay, this is HA, figured out maybe this is PCOS, um, um, figured out from a sperm analysis that it's male partner infertility, then we just would, would have people leaving. I think the issue is that I see so many people leaving GP practices feeling 
so disempowered, feeling so dismissed, really disheartened, sometimes like feeling like they've been gaslighted and like that their symptoms aren't even real and that they're kind of over exaggerating things or they're overthinking things or they're a bit crazy. Obviously, I'm sure GPs wouldn't say that to someone, but that's the kind of feeling that they're getting. And yeah, I'm just really passionate about women just becoming more empowered about their own health, how their bodies work and really knowing what they need to know to become optimally healthy. Yeah. And I think like, you're totally right. What you said there about just putting people on the pill. Like I've had clients who've come, they've been on contraception for years and they were like, Oh, I just went with really bad acne. And then I got put in the pill. I just never came off it. And I think we, it is kicking the can down the road because it's not until you get older and it's the same with like HA. They think, Oh, I don't have a period. Like for now it's fine. This is handy. And I'm like, yeah, but like, you know, you might not want a child now, but like down the line, this is all things. It's like when I say to people, okay, you might think that you're training now. You're also training for the 70 year old you who wants to be able to be mobile, to get around, to look after themselves, which kind of, I was listening to a podcast you did recently, actually. And I I have to write this down because I I was like, I genuinely (laughs) was like, what did you say exactly? You were talking about the TSH tests when people were trying to conceive and that the blood test will come back and the doctor will be like, oh, that's normal. But actually, if you're trying to conceive, it needs to be under a different range or something. This blew my mind, blew my mind. I was like, what? Yeah. So without trying, I always find it really difficult to explain this without overcomplicating it. So we have, um, our thyroid is really, really important for our menstrual health, but also our, our reproduction. It's really important that we have an optimally healthy thyroid going into early pregnancy because the baby basically relies on our own thyroid hormone because they don't have their own thyroid gland for the first 20 weeks. So if we can just about make enough for ourselves, we probably can't make enough for them. So when it comes to thyroid health, we have a hormone called thyroid stimulating hormone, TSH. And when TSH is high, that means, or like high out of range, that means that our our thyroid is struggling to to function. So if you imagine thyroid stimulating hormone, if that's high, our, our body is trying to stimulate our thyroid and send more and more TSH out. On the flip side, if our TSH is low, it means that our our thyroid is probably functioning too well and too quickly. And that's when you kind of reach what's called hyperthyroidism. And the way I always remember this is hyper means like high and hypo rhymes with low. So hyperthyroidism is high thyroid function. Hypothyroidism is low thyroid function. So when it comes to normal Joe Soap going in, getting their thyroid done. If your TSH is under 4.2, you are you have no issues. You're within range, okay? And that means that you've a normal thyroid function. But the issue is that when it comes to fertility, all of the research suggests that we should be under 2.5. So our TSH should be kind of anywhere from kind of one to, or like 0.5 to, to 2.5. So I have had so many clients like that would be basically optimal thyroid function. But I've had so many clients come to us who either haven't been able to get pregnant or who've suffered recurring pregnancy loss or have menstrual dysregularities and their thyroid, their TSH is 3.8 or 3.5 or 4.1. And they've been told by their GP that their thyroid function is is absolutely fine. But when you're trying to conceive, it's it's a different range. You need to be from 0.5 to 2.5 and unfortunately a lot of people don't know this and thankfully I feel like ever (laughs) I do like podcasts or I do I'm chatting with a client in the consultation and they're like oh my TSH is under 2.5 I'm like I'm obviously drilling it into people which is good it's like I know it's supposed to be under 2.5 and which is really good so hopefully I think the message is getting out there a little bit um but it's just important to know that optimal range for fertility for TSH is 0.5 to 2.5 and nothing above that that one really stood out to me I was out for a walk and I listened to that and I was I was shocked because actually one of my clients was she's trying to conceive at the moment and she went and got her test done and it was literally I was doing her check-in just after I listened to your podcast and I sent her your podcast straight away I was like just with regards to like blood tests and that, like just have a listen to this. Because the other thing I love that you talk about, and you know what, like it's it's so self-explanatory, but at the same time, I was like, it's another thing women never think of. It takes two to tango. Why is it always the women getting all the tests? Why are like, why are the men not getting all these tests as soon as the women come in as well? Like that, uh, that struck out to me so much. I was like, yes, she's so right. What? Yeah, it blows my mind. Like I will have, 
clients like I offer discovery calls so for anyone who's thinking about trying like working with us and um, I always offer like a free discovery call just kind of have a little chat like learn a little bit about them tell them a little bit about what we do and see if we might be a good fit for each other and Narissa I've never had a man ring me and tell me about their fertility struggles it's always women and I'll have women and they'll be like okay I'm doing everything right um I read these three books and I'm managing my blood sugars. I'm taking my XYZ supplements. I'm like moderately exercising, not too much, not too little, not exercising like being chased by a bear. Um, and I like eating all my vegetables. I just like sleep is perfect. Stress is great. Like I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And I'm like, well, what's your partner doing? And they're like, oh yeah, no, don't talk to me about him. Like you only eat vegetables and like he like drinks like Saturday and Sunday. And I'm like, um, I think I need to work with him instead of working with you. Do you know what I mean? And it's so, it's really sad because women just take this burden on themselves. And when things don't go wrong, even when it comes to pregnancy loss, they just assume that, well, I'm the one with the womb and I'm the one with the uterus. So therefore, if there was a pregnancy loss, it must be because of me. But 50% of the time when it comes to pregnancy loss, it's male factor. And it's like, we, this just isn't known, like this narrative just isn't out there. So it is so important. Like it takes the the genetic material that it takes to make an embryo comes from two people, two people. So why would it just be the woman who is like doing really well with nutrition, exercise, lifestyle, supplementation, and they're in the pub three nights a week? Do you know? Yeah. So it's really, really important that that narrative, like that's something that I'm really passionate as well, is kind of changing that narrative. And um, because it's hard, like especially if, if someone is struggling with conceiving and I feel like women kind of they really they take that so hard especially if you're in the age category where lots of your friends are getting pregnant or you're going to baby showers or you're going to a brunch where someone else is announcing that they're pregnant or you know it's really really difficult so and they just kind of tend to bear that burden so I think it's important to understand that it's it's two people in this partnership or in this relationship and so both of them are responsible. I think that's huge because any clients that I've had that have said, oh, we're going for blood tests, like ever since I listened to that, it stood out to me so much. I was like, and is your partner going as well? Like, are they yeah. getting all these tests? And they were like, what? And I and then I'd send them the podcast again. And I'm like, no, but literally it is 50-50 here. I'm like, so why do you feel that like you have to take this all on yourself? And obviously, as soon as they do it, most of their partners are understanding. They're like, oh yeah, okay, I'll go and do it. Yeah. Like, but at the same time, I think it's, um, and I talked, like I work with a lot of clients who have kids and stuff as well. And something I find at the moment, a lot of clients are feeling very overwhelmed. There's a lot going on. The kids are coming up to coming off school. They have work, they have a lot of things going on. And, you know, I something so simple that I said to one of them a while ago is I was like, are you just doing everything though? Are you mm. just afraid to, like, are you, why don't you just ask for help? We've become so wrapped up in saying yes and putting everyone first and having to do this and having to do that. And like, all of a sudden then we're becoming overwhelmed. And I always say to my clients, I'm like, in order for you to show up the best you can in anything you're doing, you have to be taking a little bit of time to fill your own cup. And part of that sometimes is just being able to ask for help. I know I struggle with it a bit and I'm getting better at it. Yeah. <laughs> Practice what I preach and all that jazz. But like last week was, it's funny actually you said earlier, you were saying around that day, your cycle where you can't even get your words out. We were supposed to do this podcast last week. I was in that phase of my cycle. <laughs> I crashed into a park car. That oh, was where you told me that. Oh, disaster, disaster. Like when I say I was in, I had a really stressful week anyway, and I took on too much as well. And then I was in that phase of my cycle, crashed into park car and was like, oh no. You know, you're, no, you know, it's mad. Your coordination is lower in your luteal phase. Yeah. I should have told yeah. the mechanic so, that yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> It's fine. I'm just in my luteal phase, really uncoordinated, really clumsy. But it's so interesting because any, in terms of like contact sports, it's something to bear in mind is that like kind of any multi-directional sports, you tend to just be a little bit more, again, like it's just a rule of thumb. It might not be for anyone, but um, you tend to be a little bit more clumsy and also progesterone, that hormone that's dominant, tends to add to kind of like laxity in your tendons. Um, so you are more susceptible to injure yourself. So. Um, no like I I get I'm well known for being a little bit clumsy anyway but actually not this cycle where I crashed into the car but last month I was in the gym and I was doing something and I was like it was around that time my cycle I wasn't even going that heavy in the gym I was doing a bit of a deload week but I don't know what way I caught my finger in the thing and the whole thing busted in and my boyfriend was oh, just like God. he was just like 
what do you be doing? What? I was like, it wasn't doing the exercise. It was actually taking the weight off. I was like, I dropped it. He was like, why are you so oh, clumsy? I'm like, it's my luteal phase. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> just clumsy. Absolutely oh, clumsy. Um, but I'm just trying to think now. Oh, yeah. So what would, um, just going back to the conceiving, because I have a couple of clients that are trying to conceive and some of them are thinking about like what kind of blood tests to go for. What would be the main ones that you'd recommend if someone was having issues with fertility? So for blood tests, um, I would say day three FSH and LH. Um, so they are basically really important hormones for ovarian function. So we just kind of want to see what the function of the ovaries are. Um, it kind of just gives us a ballpark of like, where are we at in terms of timing like are we coming towards the end of our fertility and um, because again not to scare people like I've seen people who are in their early 30s going into um what's called like pr uh, premature ovarian failure um or premature ovarian insufficiency so basically what that means is they're going into premature um, menopause so your FSH or LH kind of give an indication as to where you're at they also might be a sign if you have PCOS the other one might be what's called AMH, anti-malarian hormone. And this is kind of like a big, scary um, test for a lot of people because it gives an indication of your ovarian reserve. So how many eggs that you have left. So again, like if I'm working with someone and they've been trying to conceive for quite a while and they're a little bit older, I would like to have their AMH test. And the reason for that is it just gives us an idea of timeline. Like obviously AMH is not definitively, it's not a it's not a complete depiction or a full picture of your fertility, but it would be unethical for me to say to someone yeah like let's just give it like nine months like let's just try and get pregnant naturally for nine months and maybe then think about IVF so if I had someone who had elevated FSH and low AMH like in combination with each other that is kind of just like not not a warning sign but it just gives us an idea that we're we're running out of time a little bit so in that sense I'd be like okay let's optimize things three months we'll do like an egg and sperm kind of super like supercharged protocol basically we'll put your eggs and sperm into boot camp and then if nothing has happened then I would suggest um going for like fertility treatment or looking kind of into the more um medical approach and what's important to understand is like two of two of those things can work synergistically I think sometimes we think like okay I'm going to go try and get naturally go pregnant naturally and do everything that I can naturally or I'm going to go down the medicine route it's like no if you actually combine the two that's normally especially obviously there are some people that won't actually need fertility treatment but for people who do if you combine them they work really well together and um, so that's FSH LH um your AMH again your TSH and your, which is your thyroid stimulating hormone and also your um your thyroxine your free um t4 those would be the main ones um because you just again we want to have a look at thyroid health and if you did suspect that you have elevated androgens getting your testosterone your dheis your sex hormone binding globulin done just to make sure that we're not in kind of pcos territory um and then vitamin d folic acid um or folate and your iron and your B12. Those would be the main ones. Obviously, like, again, it depends on the person, but for the most part, those would be the ones to, to have a look at. And also prolactin, sorry, prolactin as well. Make sure that's in check. I found this so interesting when I was reading your book. Like I was literally going through all the blood tests and I was like, this is amazing. Is the blood, can you can you buy it off your website? Yeah, for anyone yeah. who's listening to yeah. this and wants. Okay, okay. Because I was going to say it's absolutely Yeah, brilliant. I think it's only like nine euro. Um, so I just put it up there. for. Cheap. It's well worth it though, because I like, when I'm listening to something, okay, I have to write it down or whatever. But I was like, I love just having things there and having the numbers in front of me. <laughs> I'm so old school with it. I'm like, love a good book <laughs> that yeah, I can see. Yeah, no, it's really handy to have. It's great um it's kind of it, well this is like on the flip side of things I keep bouncing between the two because to be honest like I have some clients that are still learning that you know like the pill and stuff like that is you're not ovulating on it and I have other clients who are trying to have babies so I'm trying to like match the two out of curiosity so like if people wanted to go um, the non-hormonal route with contraception are the only two options the copper coil and and condoms is are they kind of the only two options or so no so the the main ones would be the copper coil would be non-hormonal but then at the same time it does I think that the copper coil is a little bit is put on a bit of a pedestal because it's non-hormonal but it, it doesn't come without side effects like I've had it's a real I've noticed over the course of years it's a real 50 50 thing so 50 percent of people will do really well on the copper coil 50 percent of people will have like really severe bleeding really heavy bleeding and um, just 
mid-cycle spotting and bleeding pain um yeah ha, ha, some, some of them had a really tough time with copper coil also what you're at risk of is like creating like a copper imbalance so like your body is really really high in copper so that kind of comes with its own issues so it's important to not kind of put I've just seen it put on a pedestal before and I'm like mm, I've seen I've had seen so many clients like a lot of clients who come through our doors who've been on copper coil and it's been a real 50 50 mix and um, obviously condoms and then the other one would be our um fertility tracking essentially so our, our fertility awareness um method FAM and basically what this is doing is using um biofeedback from our body um usually our basal body temperature um as you said natural cycles to determine exactly when we're ovulating and then that's that gives us an idea as to when our, our red days if you're obviously not trying to get pregnant or trying not to avoid pregnancy a red day is when you are fertile and should avoid having sex or unprotected sex and then your green day if you're trying to avoid pregnancy is your day that you're much less likely to get pregnant um so your fam would be i would be a big fan of 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 them like I've used it for for years I wouldn't have tracked like BBT it would be more so like I'd go off of like change in cervical fluid and then I'd know okay this is a time to not have unprotected sex um so those would be the main ones um obviously like again every single contraception is going to come with its drawbacks um FAM being that you have to be really patient with it you have to really really know your body quite well and um, if you do use something like natural cycles it does actually work with people who don't have a regular cycle um which is great but it takes a long time for the algorithm to work out okay what are your red days and what are your green days so what I find with clients is when they start off with it all of their days are red and they're like I can't have sex <laughs> Well, like obviously, if you have, um, if you want to have um protective sex, like barrier method, um intercourse, but um for anyone who yeah who is in a relationship who doesn't like using um barrier method, then it's it's kind of tough, and um, you don't get a lot of those like green means go days. Um, so you do have to be a patient with it. That would be that would be the main caveat. I'm actually really glad I spoke to you now because I am supposed to be getting the copper coil in, and you know what? I nearly feel like it's a sign from the universe the week I was supposed to get it in. <laughs> um the doc like this is awful like but the doctor that was supposed to put it in ended up getting into a crash or something so they cancelled all their appointments and then they tried to book me in again and I'm actually going away on holidays next week so it's like I'm not around so then it got pushed back again and now the longer I'm thinking about it and I was like hmm I'm gonna actually slip this in somewhere now (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely well the main thing is like for anyone who's listening who is in the copper coil it's really important to take um what's called zinc piclinate you can't take take you can take zinc citrate but piclinate would be like a more bioavailable form of the supplement and basically if you imagine like copper and zinc like are antagonists of each other so when one goes up the other goes down so when you have the copper coil you're more at risk of a zinc deficiency but when you bring back up your zinc through your supplement your copper levels can kind of stabilize a little bit better and so so it, it just means that the symptoms are, are much better alleviated. So if you do decide to get it done um, or, or to, to have it in, I would just make sure that you're on top of your, your zinc. Yeah, because I think like for me, when I came off the pill and stuff a good few years ago um, and just started getting really into like tracking my cycle and working with it and not against it. And then actually I can't. I went back on the pill anyway for like, I think it was just like five weeks or six weeks or yeah. something to be like, oh, I'll just go back on it because I wanted to go back on something. And oh my God, because I'd been off it for so long, I was so sensitive to knowing the difference of how I felt and I felt awful. And like, I have a good few clients who've just been on the pill and I don't, I don't tell anyone what to do. I'm like, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, I, I this is not my area of expertise. All I can ever do is talk about my own experience with contraception and stuff like that. I had the bar in when I was 18. That was awful. I hated that. Like, So I just was like, it's, I think it's mad when I actually came off and just had my natural cycle. And that's why I was kind of like, oh, I was really, really enjoying that. Then when I went back on the pill, realized I was like, oh, it's the synthetic hormones just don't bode yeah. well with me at all. Like, and um, I think you know how well you can feel without them. Then going back on them is really, really tough. Like I, I think a lot of us went on them when we were like that bit younger, probably coming towards the end of school. So, and our hormones are probably already r- raging anyway. Um, so we didn't really notice. But when you've gone through a phase where you've become more in tune with your cycle, everything's in sync. You like, you know, when you feel good, you know, when you feel not so good. And then you throw something like your synthetic hormones in then that can really like you can feel really really significantly different yeah I think what I missed the most was like 
it's not so much that the latter half of the cycle was was anywhere like PMS or anything kind of like that. But I love that like follicular phase. I feel like a superhero. Like I am bouncing around. I mean, like I'm just enjoying everything I'm doing. I'm surviving. I was like, life's great. Training's great. I was like, everything is just so manageable. And yet, okay, the latter half of the cycle is a little bit more up. But this just dulled it. Like for me, it just dulled it. I I like was like, whoa, I have no motivation to do it. And I, I'd be quite high energy. Like I love that, like bounce off the walls, love chatting to people, love all of this. And I was just like, I don't want to do it. And like, it was taking me like 20 minutes to motivate myself to do a little bit of work. And I was like, no, I don't like this. Like, I feel like I'm just dulling myself is the only yeah. way I could describe yeah. it. Like, it was really strange because I think the other thing people don't realize is they're like, oh, they talk about their periods. But like, I always ask them in their check-in forms, like, are you on contraception, a day or cycle, blah, blah, blah. And um, like, when they first come to me, they, they're they like, uh, they talk about their period and I'm like, but you're on the pill. And I was like, they're, they'd be yeah. on like the combined pill and all that. I was like, you know, that's not a period. And some people are like, well, but it is. And I'm like, but it's not a period because you're not like, people are still shocked about this. And up until I'd say three, four years ago, like I didn't notice either. I was like, whoa, so it's not a period. And they're like, yeah, like you're shedding the lining of your uterus. But the only reason you're doing that is because it's, you're withdrawing yourself from the synthetic hormones in that seven day pill break. But it's not actually a, a true period because it's not, it's not after ovulation because obviously you don't ovulate on the pill. No, no, I don't mean obviously because obviously, obviously a lot of people don't know that, but you don't ovulate on the pill. Yeah. And I think for me, I was like, oh, which actually, do you know what? I could talk to you all day, but I swear to you, I, I, would, I was like, <laughs> I better let poor Michelle go. My last question is um, actually talking about ovulation and stuff like that. How do people usually know when they're ovulating, like with regards to like cervical mucus, things like this? I always think this is another really, really empowering thing as well that I was like, wow, yeah. okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so there's a couple of ways of knowing that you're ovulating. Um, the most accurate, some of the most accurate ones would be BBT or basal body temperature tracking. So that would be using something like natural cycles in which you take your temperature first thing in the morning, every morning. And what will happen is you'll get a rise in your body temperature after ovulation. And it's funny because you'll actually notice like once you start to be aware of this, like you'll probably notice that you're really hot, like at nighttime, like stripping off in the bed um, a couple of days after ovulation. So the, the algorithm gets to learn your your cycle and then the, the kind of dips and, and increases in your basal body temperature so that's actually one of one of the only ones that can confirm ovulation a lot of people think like oh I got changed to cervical mucus or I got a positive smiley face on an oral um, or sorry a um, ovulation predictor kit uh, but that actually doesn't definitively confirm ovulation the only two things that can confirm ovulation are an increase in basal body, basal body temperature and also an increase in progesterone which is, which happens, it's a seven day peak. So seven days after you suspect that you've ovulated, pop in to get your bloods done. And if your progesterone is, is over 30, then that will confirm ovulation. Um, so the other way of tracking or, or um, signs of ovulation or understanding when you're, when you're in and around your fertile phase is your change in cervical fluid. So your cervical fluid will go from, obviously you'll have your period and then there kind of won't be much for a few days normally. And then you'll notice that you get an increase in cervical fluid, but it's almost like a white, like moisturizer, like lotion consistency. And then it starts to change to um, a clear, like the only way to describe it is like a raw egg white consistency. So you should actually be able to hold it um, between your thumb and your finger and it will actually like be a string. I know people, some people are like, oh my God, this is so yuck, but I'm like, I talk about this every day of the week. So I know I'm fascinated. I'm always like, yes, tell me more. (laughs) Um, So that would be the way that would be a sign that you're in your fertile window. Um, And the whole idea of that cervical fluid is that it helps, um, it helps like transport, transport sperm um, up into your uterus, into your fallopian tubes. Um, So that would be a a way. The other way would be a a ovulation predictor kit, an OPK. So these are like your urine test strips that you pee on. And basically what they're looking for is what's called LH or luteinizing hormone. So they're looking, it's looking for a peak or a surge in our LH. And this is going to happen a day or two before ovulation. So LH is when that surges and when that peaks, it tells our body to ovulate. So if you get that peak, the idea is that you will ovulate um, kind of 24 to 48 hours after that period um, or even kind of 12 to to 48 hours after that, um, after that surge. 
those those would be the main ones um obviously like some people have ovulation pain it might be in the middle it might be on one side maybe depending on which ovary you've ovulated from that month um but yeah those would be the main signs as to when you're you're in your fertile window yeah that's amazing and I think that's really important to know as well especially for people conceiving to just be aware of these things like that it's I I get that but it's only as I said like in the last few years I'm like oh and I'll get a little pain in my side and I'm like oh yeah no I'm ovulating and then I'll like take my temperature and it goes up and stuff like that and I'm like I actually want to go back to using natural cycles because I miss it I think I just stopped because I lost my thermometer or something and I was like oh no And there are caveats with it. Like if you, as far as I can remember, if you have slept for two hours less than what you normally sleep um, or you've gotten two hours less than normal sleep in that particular night, then your temperature isn't going to be as accurate. Or if you are sick, obviously your temperature will probably be increased. It's not necessarily ovulation. And I don't find that it works right with people who travel because they'll be up early in the morning to catch a red eye or um, up late waiting for flights and stuff like that. Or a change in kind of time zone. So it's not ideal for people who are traveling at work. It also always asks you, are you hungover as well? I remember that. Oh yeah, hungover as well. it's mad though when you actually start doing this and then like you get really into nutrition and stuff and I was doing my temperature and it was warmer I was like oh your body's probably trying to process I was like this is mad (laughs) my friends here she is measuring her temperature in the kitchen after a night of drinking wine I'm like just want to see what my temperature is today (laughs) oh but Michelle thank you so so much honestly I could talk to you all day I was like I had to really really narrow them questions and I was like okay no you'll end up having her on for like three hours do you Mm -hmm. want to just tell people where they can find you on Instagram your website or anything if they want to find out more information yes so we are the fit clinic on Instagram and the fit clinic.ie is our website amazing thank you so so much for coming on I was so so excited for this thank you so much for having me it was great no matter thank you wow that was like an incredible episode I got so so much from that I really really hope you did too as I said I really appreciate that if you like this episode and you found it helpful please feel free to share it with your friends and family share it on social media maybe give it a like subscribe you can give it a rating on Spotify it really goes such a long way in helping me spread a very important message and it can be quite hard to get the message out when you're a small content creator like myself so every share means so so much to me I really hope you enjoyed this episode and I will be back soon with episode eight and thank you for listening have a lovely day